the way of sinners leads to death and dust. That is certainly apparent in our scripture reading from Romans chapter 1. I invite you to open up your Bibles to what has sometimes been called the Gospel of Paul, the letter to the Romans, which very much follows the same structure as our Heidelberg Catechism. And before the Apostle Paul details at length about the good news in the Lord Jesus Christ, he first of all details the reality of sin and the reality of God's wrath upon sinners. Romans 1, starting at verse 18 into chapter 2, is our reading. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you? despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, 
not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, but also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Let's read our confession about the reality of our sins, and in particular, then, the wrath of our God. In Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism, three question and answers. In your book of praise, this is on page 520. Lord's Day 4, question 9. But does God, but does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? No. For God so created man that he was able to do it, but man, at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment, both now and eternally, as he has declared. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Galatians 3.10 But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. Let's sing after the sermon from Psalm 130, and we'll sing all the stances, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever gotten a bill and looked twice at it? Maybe you were out at a nice restaurant, enjoyed a beautiful meal. When you look at the bottom, at the total amount, your heart skips a beat. Suddenly the meal doesn't taste so good. It can't be. We've got to pay that much. There must be some mistake. But you look at all the items and sure enough, the server has it right. Ouch. We should all be in that position in a way after Lord's Day 2 and 3. We've heard the, real, the rule of human life, the law of God. And that God requires love him and love your neighbor. Nothing strange about that. But then we've discovered, too, that we are so corrupt that we cannot even do any good, that by nature we are slaves to sin. And like every form of slavery, there's nothing part-time about this. We are racking up a huge debt before God as sinners. If the bill came out to you, can you imagine how long the tape would be? you would certainly look twice when you came to the end of it. 
David says in Psalm 40 that his sins are more than the hairs on his head. Even if you're bald, there's still quite a few hairs up there. He can't count them. That is a scary thought too, as David says in Psalm 40. As he looks at his sin, his heart does more than skip a beat. It fails and deserts him. You and I as well, when we begin to see our sins and then the total too, as revealed by the word of God, we are tempted to say, there must be some mistake. The bill is too high, way too high. Lord's Day 4 deals with that mindset. The questions in Lord's Day 4 are not the kinds of questions that everybody is asking. But when you ask the questions of Lord's Days 2 and 3, and when you consider seriously the answers that you learn there, well, then these are the kinds of questions that are going to be in your mind. All these objections, in fact, are pretty sneaky. They don't deny our sin, but they do ask other questions. Isn't God being a little bit unjust? Does God have to punish us? Isn't God also merciful? Yeah, it's like we almost attempt to play God against himself in order to get out of paying the bill. And so I put our confession under this theme, guilty as charged. And we'll look at three things. We'll have to confess that first of all, God's standards are fair. Secondly, God's wrath is real and already present. And thirdly, God's mercy does not overrule his justice. Now the first question answer here in the Heidelberg Catechism has some history to it which you may not be aware of. But here's really the background. There's a monk in the 4th century. You might know his name, actually. Pelagius. He liked to say, we're not really that bad. And we sin only because, well, we don't have a sinful nature. No, because there's just bad examples around us. Of course, there is some truth to that as there is with every heresy. When Pelagius turned to the Bible, this is what he did. He basically found all these texts where God commanded us to obey him. So far, so good. But then Pelagius reasoned like this. If God commands us to do good, then we must be able to do it in and of ourselves. The law of God is an indication, he said, of the state of human nature. After all, how can God tell us to do something when there's no hope at all for us doing it? That would be being cruel and unfair, wouldn't it be? Perhaps you can see Pelagius' mistake. What Pelagius did, it's the same thing that all the cults do too. He took a certain amount of scripture passages But he isolated them and he built his own theological system on top of them without considering all of Scripture. Jehovah's Witnesses are no different. You know, they are fond of saying things like, Don't you see and don't you read in Scripture Jesus saying things like, The Father is greater than I? 
Clearly he cannot be God. They forget about all the other texts where the Lord Jesus Christ clearly says that he is God. Like in the end of John 8 where he says, I am, and the Jews want to pick up stones to stone him because they know he is claiming to be the I am who I am. God's commands do not say anything about our nature. They are simply what God commands. They were the commands given to Adam and Eve in the beginning to walk with their God and to enjoy his paradise. We certainly fell from that calling and we cannot keep God's law. We are dead in sin, says Paul. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. And dead there is not just the condemnation that lies on us, although it is that as well, but it is also our state, our nature. But in the beginning, humanity was not like that. We were made to walk with God in his ways. And God has every right to continue to demand that. God upholds his law, even in a sinful world. Not because we can keep it, or because we can even try to keep it, because simply this is the way things were meant to be, the way they should be. One before minister makes this analogy. If you have a sick fish, is it unjust to keep him in the water? Hardly, you say. Whether a fish is sick or healthy, it belongs in the water. The same is true for us. Whether we are healthy or sick, we belong in the water. That water being the will, the law of God. Should God lower his standards? Should he change his laws to reflect what we're capable of? Should God put an asterisk at the bottom of the Ten Commandments? At least try to do them some of the time. That betrays a false understanding of God's law. God's law is not some arbitrary list of rules that can be modified or changed. No, God's law is what is supremely beautiful and right and true. God's law is a reflection of his own character and glory. God cannot then change his laws any more than he can lie. He cannot lower his standards any more than he can do evil. So God will not and cannot change his law. But we've got another way to try to get out of the situation. Perhaps God won't punish us. This is our second point. So God has every right that we keep his law. We were created like that in the beginning. Nature demands that. But then we have got a further question. Is he really that angry over our sin? How would you answer that? I watched a few, t- few people on YouTube the other day. And people were very much saying, sure, I'm a sinner. But God... God, God can forgive and forget. God's not that bothered by the things that I've done because the things that I've done too are not really that bad. 
God is not like us. We get upset over the littlest of things. You think God is like that? God is much more forgiving and tolerant. What do you think about those answers? You know, on one level, it's a little bit ridiculous, all those I think God is like fill in the blank. Who are we to think what God is like? What he will or will not do? How can we think that God must be nice, God must be tolerant or, or forgiving? Instead, no, we need to ask, what does God say about us and our sins? We need to read Scripture. Scripture is the revelation of God as He truly is, as opposed to what we think He is like. And in the Bible, the Word of God you will read that the true God has burning indignation, that he abhors evil, that he has furious anger and great wrath. He has vengeance, a justice that will not rest. Did you know that there are Hebrew words that are sometimes only used for the Lord? And one of those is also here. There's a Hebrew word for anger that is only used for divine anger, never human anger. God has an anger on a whole other level than you and me. And so we're right in the Heidelberg Catechism when we say, certainly not, he is terribly angry with our original sin. Some of you who are older might remember learning that he is terribly displeased but we've changed that recently and very accurately. He is terribly angry with our original sin as well as our actual sins. The things that we do, but even more, who we are. All of this angers God. Now, Certainly, this is a very hard thing to admit especially in our day of toleration. But you know, things were no different in the first century. Even for the Jews, it was not much different. For them, the wrath of God was almost more theoretical than a reality. It was for, for them and never for the Jews themselves. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1 addresses that thinking. He begins that section in verse 18 by saying, the wrath of God is already being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then Paul goes on to explain this and detail this. How can you see The wrath of God, that it's real? Is it because there's earthquakes or tsunamis or hurricanes? Is it interesting the Apostle Paul does not go there? Instead, the rest of this chapter, he points to moral decay. That a society that abandons its maker 
falls apart. That we have no idea anymore what is right and proper, natural and good. This is all evidence of the wrath of God. Notice what phrase often appears here in this second half. That God gives them over, gives them up. We, as sinners, rebel against God. We want to have nothing to do with Him. And then God gives us up. In judgment, God lets us live in that stupidity. This giving up or giving over is proof of the reality of God's wrath. And Paul could point at the world around him, we can still do the same today. Look at the world around you. What do you see as you look at the world around you? Certainly, we see great sin and evil. But we need to go even further than that. We need to see human beings have rejected that beautiful and healthy relationship with their God and Maker. And therefore, all other relationships have become twisted, unnatural, distorted. All this immorality that people pretend is fun and exciting, even right and good, so destructive and so clearly unnatural. All the unnatural things that you and I see so clearly in our day and age should make us tremble. Because that is in us, we as sinners, who reject the most natural thing there should be. And that is that you and I walk with our God. So all the stuff in the world around us is not just sinners doing whatever they want. It's evidence of the God who punishes sin with sin. In verse 28, there's a play on words too. The Apostle Paul makes it's a bit hard to translate. The Apostle Paul in verse 28, he's talking about how the world around us thinks the knowledge of God is not something worth having. The Greek has the flavor of they don't want to try it out. They don't want to test the knowledge of God. To see if this is the way life should be lived. They throw it out as something untested. And Paul says there is a punishment. A fitting punishment for that kind of attitude. God gives them over then to an untested mind. A mind that wouldn't pass inspection, you might say. Ah, If you think that life with God isn't worthwhile, you will find a life that isn't worthwhile. If you do not care to know your God, you in the end will not know anything really about life and the way that it should be lived. If you close your eyes stubbornly to God, you close your eyes really to everything else. You will have no idea what is natural or unnatural. And again, we need to not just look at the world around us, but also ourselves. This is hardly about finger pointing. 
we should look around us at our world and see what our sin is like as well and what our sin deserves. We should see very clearly in our society the very real wrath of God who gives us over to our sin. In fact, if we have the eyes to see it, we can see in the world around us already the flickers of hell. That there is a place of eternal shame where human life is utterly ruined forever, where we have been given over to our foolish choices and our stupidity. There is a hell where sinners have been abandoned and the world around us has hints of it. But is this going too far? Isn't God himself a God of love and mercy? That's our third point. Maybe you might think this is perhaps the strongest objection yet. Do we have to take our sin that seriously? Don't we know? The Bible itself says God is a God of love. This is not just a Pelagian conclusion. God is merciful. God is gracious. God can just sort of forgive and forget. So how would you answer that? Does there really need to be punishment? Does the justice of God really need to be satisfied? Does there need to be a hell? There are many groups today, many so-called churches, that would deny this. You know, there are churches today who still talk about the forgiveness of sins. But I've learned, perhaps you have as well, they mean something much different. They sort of mean, you and I need to realize that our sins are not such a big deal. We need to realize God isn't actually that angry. Forgiveness of sins? I've seen it in many places. Perhaps you have too. That it's sort of a subjective thing. More the realization. You do not have to live in guilt anymore at the mercy of a troubled conscience. Don't be so bothered about your sins and learn to forgive yourself. But again, look at the Word of God and what God says about our sin and its punishment. Who are we, after all, to judge the seriousness of sin? We've gotten so used to it. Used to it. We are so terribly desensitized to it. The Word of God calls sin treachery, treason, and so much more. The Catechism explains too, sin against the most high majesty of God deserves the greatest of punishments. Sin, your sin, my sin, has the audacity of calling the God of heaven and earth a liar. Our sin is an attempt to murder God. Sin is an act of heinous arrogance. Sin is the greatest betrayal. You could look at it like this. 
In life, God has created some beautiful relationships. But in those very beautiful relationships, some of the greatest evil can happen. Father and child, husband and wife, for instance, some beautiful things can happen and some very evil and destructive things. Well, you and I were made to have a beautiful relationship with our God. But now do you see what was to be the most beautiful of relationships filled with love and worship and intimacy and fellowship instead as sinners that is so twisted and broken. Our sin that's worse than a husband or wife being unfaithful to each other. We are being unfaithful to the God of heaven and earth. Our sin scoffs at his love. It spits on his glory. Because of our sin, the most beautiful of relationships turns into something heinous. And we know when this happens from a human angle, this evil should not just be forgotten, ignored, smoothed over. To forgive and forget an abuser isn't right. God also is right to demand punishment for what we have done and to pronounce judgment upon us. And we can also see in the greatness of our sin as we look to the greatness of our Savior. After all, this should be the burning question. In our day and age, when so many have such a shallow view of the forgiveness of sins, the reality of sin, well, if you think this, why did God have to send his Son and abandon him on a cross to hellish agony? If there was another way, if it wasn't so serious, would God have not tried it? If God could simply say, oh, all right, no, no, no big deal, would not he have said that? The death of Christ, the Son of God, also tells us how great our sin is, how great God's justice is, God's wrath and it also tells us how great his love is. I know there are people, even religious leaders, who ridicule Orthodox Christianity here. Jesus had to satisfy the wrath of God? What kind of God do you have? They say, that's such a mean picture of God. Jesus somehow has to get between you and the angry God? No, it's not like that at all, of course. Jesus and God, they are not opposite. Jesus does not get between us and the angry God. Jesus is also the angry God. And he is the God who is love. Jesus shows us how great the love of God is. 
That the love of God is not just a sweeping of things under the carpet. No, there are very real things to get angry about. But the greater a love is, the greater that love will find a way to deal with things rather than smooth them over. A great love forgives and bears the cost. There is a love that sacrifices and that chooses to love even when people are not worthy of it. That is the love that we see displayed of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you see here, the Catechism in Lord's Day 4, it's not trying to foist a guilt complex on us. The Catechism is leading us to know our salvation. And it's truth. It is leading us to a real confidence and comfort. Forgiveness. It's not just us realizing that God is not angry. It's not just a state of mind. It's not a subjective thing that we need, we need to learn to feel and embrace as we, learn, as we somehow learn to get over the guilt of our sin. Now, the forgiveness of God is so much more than that. You can rejoice that you have a Savior who came not just to sort of change your thinking about yourself and your sins and your guilt. No, he came to suffer, to embrace what your sins and my sins truly deserve. A Savior who saw the hell our sins deserve and who entered that hell for our sake. And therefore, do you see, we have a salvation in him more solid than we know. We can learn to laugh at our consciences, laugh at the devil and his accusations. I have a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew my sin and its guilt, its misery, its condemnation, even more than I do or ever, well, or ever will do in this life. And he went to the cross for my sake. Accept God's judgment about your sin. And then you will also know his judgment in his son. And that in Christ he is also in the highest of heavens declared us to be righteous and to be his forever and nothing can change or challenge that. Amen.